Welcome to MotivationAddict.com with Julie Salon. This is where you will find inspiring stories on how to motivate yourself and gain momentum towards success, turning fear into confidence, and how to find divine flow, allowing you to crush your goals. Thank you for being here. And now, let's tune in to today's show. Hey, everyone. Julie Salon from Motivation Addict. In this episode, I am talking with J.P. McAvoy. He is a business law expert for explosive growth and sustained success. Had an awesome time talking to this guy. He's a lawyer, but he's super cool. Um, He works with world-class entrepreneurs such as Elon Musk, and he helps structure some of the world's most successful companies for maximum profitability and virtually unlimited wealth generating potential. He's a speaker, a writer, a lawyer, and an educator. He's a managing partner of Conduct Law Firm, and he works with clients throughout the United States, Canada, and Asia, and he's been assisting business owners launch and grow their businesses successfully for over 15 years. He's an amazing guy. He actually roomed with Elon Musk, so um, he, along with Eli, uh, they worked at Silicon Valley Startup, which they successfully grew and exited in the largest all-cash transaction of its time. So he has speaking engagements, TV appearances. Uh, He's just recognized around the world as a thought leader and an expert on how to build a business for long-term profitability and success. I had a blast talking to JP uh, because I was in my past life um, a paralegal. So you're going to love hearing what he has to say about growing your business. Even if you're a solo um, entrepreneur, if you're a solopreneur, or if you're growing your business, no matter where you are, he has great advice for you to begin, build your business, sell your business, and protect your, yourself and your assets. So can't wait to see you on the inside. Loving talking with him, J.P. McAvoy. See you on the inside. Hey, everyone. Julie Salant from Motivation Addict. Thank you for being here today. I am very excited because I have my friend J.P. McAvoy helping me today. He's going to answer some questions for us. He is a very distinguished guy. I met him at NMS, the New Media Summit. He is a speaker, a writer, a lawyer, an educator. He is the managing partner of Conduct Law, a law firm with clients throughout the United States, Canada, and Asia. And he's been assisting businesses owners launch and grow their businesses successfully for over 15 years. He is actually, he roomed with Elon Musk, Right, JP? That's right. Way back in the day, we were actually roomies. (laughs) And they grew a business together in Silicon Valley Startup, which they successfully grew and exited into the largest all-cash transaction of its time. So super excited to have you, JP. Thank you for being on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Julie. Hey. So I'd like to know, I, I know you wear a lot of hats. Can you just tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now in your day-to-day life to help businesses? Absolutely, yes. Uh, so many hats, although uh, they are all business-focused. Uh, so I'm obviously a practicing lawyer and managing a, a law firm uh, that is a business law firm, so addressing the needs of business clients. I'm also a legal consultant with CPLSPA, which is uh, a center for professional learning as well. Again, coaching business owners uh, and helping them grow their businesses in a legal capacity. I'm uh, oftentimes helping clients structure their corporations and structuring them for growth. And then in a coaching capacity, uh, I'm working with them to help them g- give them business advice as they learn to, to, to grow their business most effectively. 
Okay, wonderful. So you've got a full plate because you're speaking and you're writing and you're also have a, a full-time job and you have a podcast coming out. It's the Business Breakout Podcast, right? Absolutely. Yes. Thanks for mentioning that. So the Business Breakout uh, Podcast, similar theme, working with business owners, helping them start, grow, and then sell. So the big part for me is if I've achieved or if I've uh, helped a client through the way that I uh, have designed my programs, they're actually selling the corporation at some point or their business at some point for a profit. So I'm hopefully structured in a way that allows it to grow uh, in a, in a tax efficient manner and then actually allowing them to exit or coaching through the exit. So that's the focus of the podcast. Okay. That's awesome. Awesome. Lots of good stuff there. So I have my questions ready for you. Cause I did, you know, obviously we've talked before um, and I have personal questions, but I know that the listeners are going to get a lot out of this. So let's just jump in. So what is the best way to develop a brand in your viewpoint? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, I, best way that for me and when I'm uh, coaching people is uh, consistency and right from the beginning. You find uh, what happens is that people uh, will create a brand or they're starting down a path and they change it and they don't, they, they don't protect what they've done. They change it to something else and, and it continues to evolve too much. So I always say to them, establish something be consistent with it. And then as it grows, that's when you start to invest more in it uh, and start to protect it more. So for example, someone comes up with a brand, uh, they've spent their time, uh, I guess, vetting it, making sure it's a brand that they're content with. Uh, and then they start to grow it. They actually have protection by virtue of the first use of that brand. So I say to them, you don't have to invest a lot of legal at the outset. Uh, if you've been consistent and continue to use it consistently, you're going to have some protection just by virtue of first use after they get to a certain point, And if there's some value that's established, so then you're talking to a client about actually trademarking it as well. But the key thing is to pick something and stick with it. Okay. So when you're talking about trademarking, when do you do that at the outset too, with a new brand, a new idea, a new service product? Great question. And so you can, uh, it's just, uh, I understand if someone that's starting up a business has got a limited budget, they're, they're trying to decide wh where to invest. And so obviously a lawyer is going to say, yes, obviously trademark, trademark, trademark. It's going to protect your brand and your identity. However, uh, as a business lawyer, I'm also somebody that's watched a lot of businesses and I realize it would be nice if they were trademarking right off the bat, but they have other things that they need to be spending their money on. So I say to them, and a lot of lawyers aren't saying this because they're trying to actually create that sale right off the bat and have people spending money on legal. And I'm saying to them, I get it if this company is successful and is being built out the right way, there'll be time for trademarking later on. There'll be a time to invest in trademarking. A lot of people don't realize there's actually protection, as I said earlier, by first use. So if you're the first person using a brand, uh, you've got some protection at law for that. It's not as thorough. It's not as all encompassing as trademarking. So as a lawyer, obviously the advice is to trademark, but you've got some time. You've got some time. It's not like a, a patent or something like that where once it gets into the marketplace, you'll lose your protection. By using it, you actually have protection. And then when you get to the spot where you've, you, you've got a bit of a following, you've got to perhaps some revenue that will help justify the expense of trademarking, uh, then, you're, you know, then you're in a position to start spending the money on it. Okay. Okay. Perfect. That's good to know because it is really hard, especially if you're a solopreneur or an entrepreneur who's starting to, you're growing. That's the goal, right? And you know, you sometimes are, you know, on a shoestring budget, it's month to month and you don't want to spend money on things that won't protect you. And you're just trying to make it work right at this point. Yeah. In that's just it. Sorry. Case. You're bootstrapping it. Right. And so as I say, having worked with hundreds of startups, I see that. And uh, you know, some of the, you know, some people that are green or the naive, they come in and they're working with the, the wrong lawyer. 
that lawyer will say, they realize that there's, you know, a, a fee for the lawyer. And so they'll say, no, we got to get it trademarked right away. It's not that it's not, that's bad advice. It's just as a business lawyer, I recognize that there are other things that are competing for those first dollars. They're very important dollars at first. And you got to get the business up and running. So we appreciate yeah. that. I, so I always say to people, let's get to trademarking when, when, uh, uh, when there's uh, a revenue stream that justifies it. To give you a sense of the trademark we're talking about, for a trademark to be effective, and this is the other thing, lawyers will collect trademark fees and it really is perhaps not as all-encompassing protection as you think it might be. Because the trademark, you've got a trademark in multiple jurisdictions. And typically, lawyers are going to quote something in the, the $2,500 range to, to trademark in a jurisdiction. So, for example, you're operating in the U.S. Well, you've got you to gotta have a trademark in the U.S. So, you need to do your trademark there. You're paying $2,500. Uh, a very easy extension is to Canada, right? So, North America, we want North American protection. Another $2,500 there. Then you get into Europe. So, you're saying, okay, we've got to do something else in Europe. So, another $2,500. So, people are spending easily... You know, ten, fifteen thousand dollars on trademarking uh, at a time when the company's very early. Like they're developing a brand, uh, and so that ten or fifteen dollars might be ten or fifteen thousand dollars might be just as effectively spent on marketing. You know, yeah. on, on on other areas. So as I say, as a, as a business lawyer, I'll say let's get the structure set up. Let's know that at some point we're going to invest in trademarking, but let's not spend that money right off right off the bat. Okay, that makes perfect sense to me, um, and I do think that that does that's a lot of money, especially in the beginning when yes. you're just starting out. Um, I, as a solopreneur, I have someone that I'm going to be working with on a product. So we're going to be combining my, what I use as a tool, what she uses as a tool and put it into a new service and a new product. And we've been talking for a couple of months and now we're at the point where I said, I think that we need an agreement in place. Um, it's not that I anticipate anything happening, but I think that's the smartest thing to do. I've been in businesses before where I've seen them go up in flames and things can get pretty catty and nasty and then lawyers come in and it's really ugly. So what would you advise someone like myself who wants to co-create with someone else, but then it might get into, okay, well, where are we going to house it? And even if it's going to be 50-50 split, we want to just protect ourselves. That's a great question, Julie. And I wish that... Uh... Uh, people came to me earlier or went to a lawyer earlier in the, in the, in the process. Cause it's quite typical for people to get going on, uh, on an idea or on a project and then realize they've created some value. And then they go talk to the lawyer and by then they may have, uh, you know, created a situation for themselves that'll make it harder to put everything in order. So to answer your question, uh, and you're very wise for your, you know, right, knowing right from the beginning, an agreement is what you're looking to do. Uh, put an agreement in a place that sets out the rights and obligations of each of you and, and your partner. If you're, if you're not incorporating, and my advice would be to incorporate as well, right from the beginning. So incorporate, you each become shareholders of the corporation, and then you could define what your rights and obligations are by virtue of a shareholders agreement. However, if you do not incorporate at law, you're a partnership. As you both talk about contributing, that's what you are. So you need a partnership agreement. Same, same thing. Uh, so you're setting out what each of you is contributing, uh, and then what your obligations are, so how much you're required to do on an ongoing basis. Uh, and then, just as important as you say, to make sure if there, is, there are any issues, so things don't get catty, to, to say, okay, what happens if we actually can't get along with something? So some form of dispute resolution. And either a shareholder agreement or a partnership agreement, they're all fairly standard terms, and so absolutely right from the beginning, suggest you put something into place. And a lawyer should be quoting for a partnership agreement or a, a shareholder agreement, something like $750 to $1,500 to put something into place. Money very well spent from the beginning. So we talk about trademarking where uh, we're talking about, you know, perhaps we can delay that investment. For the partnership agreement or shares agreement, uh, the advice is let's get that right up front, right when, you know, you guys are setting up the rules of the game, you know, the, the rules of the way you're agreeing to work together. Let's put it all in writing. That makes for good partners. Ideally, it gets signed and put away. You don't look at it again. But if you need to pull it out, you've got the rules of the game established very early on. 
Right, right. I think that's really smart. And I think that's something that people need to talk about up front because, you know, as I said, I've seen it, I'm sure you've seen it before. And then it gets really ugly. And it's, it's just a way to protect yourself in the beginning. And I think that's, I think that's money really well spent. Is that something that a lawyer just has? I mean, I was a paralegal, so I'm thinking that they just can pull something out that's generic and then they just customize it for you. Yeah, that's, that's the way it should occur. And that's why sort of a lawyer, quote, you know, quoting the type of uh, fee range that I'd expect to see is, uh, yeah, you're seeing something and you can pull stuff off the internet as well and see what some of these agreements look like. A lawyer should be starting with something that uh, really isn't even controversial, like simple dispute resolution clause in it. And then it's in discussion with the clients that you talk about customizing or, you know, tailoring things specifically. For example, if people live uh, in different jurisdictions, uh, you, you know, you tailor to declare which jurisdiction you're going to work in. Uh, there are different dispute resolution clauses. So you talk with people uh, about the, the way that they would uh, be interested in resolving disputes if need be. And that's where the customization comes in to make sure that it's a good agreement for you and whoever you're working with. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you for that. Cause that's oh. a big thing. I mean, you know, it's really important to protect yourself. Um, you never know. I mean, sometimes businesses, you know, you never know what the product's going to do. It could be just a couple people see it, but it could be, it could explode. And, you know, you're selling thousands and thousands and of dollars. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, wait a minute, you know, I don't want to pay for this. And I don't want to pay for that. So that's good. Good yeah, to know. And you're just hitting it on the head because uh, what happens is oftentimes, and that's a lot of time when the work comes to me is people have created some value and they're, and they're running into issues. And the problem with that is when there is value, it also uh, presents a situation where some people may be willing to fight over it. And certainly if you get the wrong lawyer involved, they realize they'll get paid to fight over it. And uh, that's not what you want. You want to get the rules of the game established early. That way, if there is any type of fight or anything to be had, the rules are clearly established there. And, you, and you're not in this position where you're just spinning your wheels or actually destroying the company fighting over something. Right, right, exactly. Let's talk a little bit about a business being a marathon, not a sprint, because I know you can speak to that specifically. And I'm always trying to think of it's a process, number one, and it is something that you need to just work on all the time. Nothing's, it's not going to happen like all of a sudden. Can you speak to that a little bit? Cause yeah. I know you have a lot that's of experience. A great, yeah, it's a great question. And that's one of the things I prepare for. I mean, I, I come at it from the vantage point. I've started, I've helped start hundreds of companies and, uh, you know, going back to what I said from the beginning, get it set up, get the right foundation set up, but also then be prepared for, as you say, perfectly describe the marathon because a, a business, hopefully the longevity of a business is over the course of, of a person's lifetime to the point where they're actually selling it perhaps someday, realizing some value on the sale of that, the business carries on. And so you want to have things established for that long, that long haul. And uh, one of the, the best ways of uh, ensuring that it will be around for that long haul is create the right foundation, but then be flexible. So the way we talk about being consistent, understand with a business, it takes turns, right? It takes, it changes shapes. Uh, there may be people that come and go. Um, be flexible, set up a structure that's going to allow for that, for those, uh, for the changing events and understand this, it's an evolution. So business is an evolutionary process. You know, I work with entrepreneurs all over the place and they're amazed at the end of the day, how much different their company looks like when they're going to sell it than it was five, 10 years previous when they were actually establishing it. Yeah, I bet. I mean, it's a completely different animal at that point, probably because you've probably grown, you started out by yourself or with another partner and now they've got all these people, they, people can work worldwide and we can still connect. So it's now this big kind of octopus and it's grown and grown and it's now worth who knows how much. So 
And yeah. let's just say, because we, as much as we like to think we know what the future holds, we don't. Uh, and with all with relationships and marketplaces, they change. And you may find a company gets into a different marketplace, technology changes, changes just the way that perhaps we're doing business. Uh, all these things will allow for the evolution of that business. So I like the way you said it's a marathon. Be prepared for some you know, twists and turns along the way. If you're building, if you built it the right way and you assemble the right people around you, you'll be able to deal with those things and continue to grow the value of the corporation, which is ultimately what hopefully we're able to do with any company we're starting or working with. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, I don't think a lot of us think about Nexus strategy because I never do because I always think I'll be in this for the long haul. But you know, you might want to move or your lifestyle changes or you might want to ramp down a little bit and then you're going to need to think of, you know, how are we going to sell this? How can we make some revenue or, but you know, some people still want to be involved, right? Some people want to sell it, but yet they still want a little bit of, because they created it, it's their baby. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you've heard probably the same before, death and taxes, right? We sort of all chuckle. We know we're going to deal with those. As a business lawyer, it's like the death or the end of the business for the business owner and taxes. Those are the two things we look at all the time. And so as you say, uh, there's, when we're starting a business, not giving any thought to what the end looks like. As a lawyer, you're thinking about having that foundation in place and contemplating possible scenarios. One of them is hopefully a sale. Uh, and a sale can occur in many different ways. It's oftentimes, especially when there's a smaller business with the business owners involved directly in the business, going to require some component of the business owner carrying on. So a transaction might look like business owner sells, but they've got a three-year earnout. So they sell part of their, their shareholding or part of their assets, and then they're tied to the business for some period of time to ensure there's a transition. So as you say, you're not sure what it's going to look like, but uh, make sure you've got something set up to uh, allow for the possibility in the future because uh, like death and taxes, we know at some point we're not going to be able in this life carry on with the corporation. So let's be structured in a way that allows the benefit in some shape or form from the next life of that corporation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for that. That's awesome. Awesome. Can you give the listeners some specific tips on how to take their business to the next level, especially if you're a solopreneur? Because sometimes you feel like you're kind of in a little shell by yourself and you're just connecting to the world here and there. What are your thoughts on that? Great question. Great question. And, you know, again, early stages, we're not thinking about what that next stage looks like. I think the key is who you surround yourself with. So solopreneur, small business, starting to add employees, uh, a company can only grow uh, if it's got capacity to grow. And the best way to add that capacity is by adding people in the na in a natural evolution. Uh, of the business. So hopefully it's getting to the spot where there's simply a need for more service, need for uh, more inputs, if you will. And so that involves either having an employee come in or another shareholder, another another business partner to come in. Either of those capacities is going to, neither of those is going to allow the, the company to increase its capacity and in so doing increase the value of the, of the company. Okay. Awesome. That's awesome. And I know I'm just looking at, cause you've got such a great bio here and I was going to ask you a bit personally, cause I know you're a speaker, writer, lawyer, educator, you do so much, you travel. How do you handle it all? I mean, we all have a lot on our plate, but how do you focus and, and set up your day and set up your weeks and months? Cause I'd love to know the secret that you have. <laughs> that is a great question. And uh, you know, uh, probably my biggest secret is actually a great executive assistant. Uh, yeah. And I think you had, had some, had some dealings with her, uh, even the schedule yeah, the, the time that we're, yeah. So yes. she's really, really good. And she is, uh, um, I'm sure she'll listen to this as well. So nice for her to hear this, but she's, uh, um, uh, she's guarded with my time. Let's put it that way. Uh, so, uh, she knows, and I'd like to be very efficient with my time uh, as well. So she knows she'll block me out for certain periods of time. And she knows that I intend to use every minute of the time that I've got allotted to wherever I am, but I'll move on to the next thing very quickly. 
and so I tend to transition from one thing to the next very quickly and use all of my time. And the other thing I'm quite adept at is actually capturing my time. So, I mean, we're doing this podcast uh, by voice. I do a lot of dictation. I do a lot of, uh, um, I do a lot of my work by voice, capture that voice, and then I'll either send it to somebody such as her to transcribe or uh, a service to transcribe uh, or have uh, um, my words recorded in a way that I can actually leverage them later on. For example, my writing is oftentimes done by voice. So as I, as I talk about being a voider, uh, a writer, uh, I record, I'm just finishing a book right now, that, uh, as I say, I've, I've dictated the book and then it's uh, transcribed to, uh, uh, to text efficiently so as to allow me to produce more product than perhaps some people are able to because we're all limited by the same amount of hours in a day. Right, right. No, that's awesome. So you're writing a book right now? Yes, I'm just putting the finish. Thank you for this. You're great. Awesome. Thing. What's it going to be called? I'm just finishing a book right now. It's called Disrupt and Grow Rich. Uh, and the thinking on that, and it actually relates back to my time with entrepreneurs such as Elon Musk. Um, you've probably heard of disruptive innovation. Uh, it's the way things like you know Airbnb, uh, Uber, these companies are really disrupting how, how work is being done in the marketplace right now. And as a lawyer, uh, I've oftentimes been in the boardroom when some of the discussions around these things are occurring. And so I take us through some of the scenarios where the entrepreneurs are having uh, discussions about disruption uh, and talking about the way as a lawyer, I'm able to assist, bring the disruptive ideas to fruition and protect them and grow them again for selling for maximum profitability. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Awesome. When's it going to come out? Do you know? I hope to have it at the end of May. So we'll see again, going back to what you talked about uh, in terms of timelines, hopefully by the end of May, we've got in a position to give a launch to that. Awesome. Awesome. When we get that, you got to send me a link. So we'll absolutely. For for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me a little bit. I know everyone probably asks this, but a little bit about the relationship that you have with Elon Musk. And I'd like to know what he taught you and maybe what you taught him going, because I know you have a relationship there and I know you built something too with him. So can you talk a little bit no, about that? That's a great question. Yeah. Uh, Elon is, he's one of these fascinating people that, you know, it's no coincidence he's become a household name because uh, of the way he thinks and the way he has really disrupted, uh, you know, the, the business acumen, if you will. And I saw that uh, and I was exposed to that uh, on a regular basis. He does think differently. You know, to use Steve Jobs' words, he does think differently. He'll look at something and he'll question why we actually do it that way. You know, he's, That's what I do. <laughs> yeah, it's a very healthy thing to do. A lot of people don't do that, right? The creativity in business is, is integral. And so uh, certainly, certainly watching him think was, uh, was really, really instructive. And uh, I try to uh, impart that to others as they're building their own business to say, is, is there a reason why you're doing that? Have you deconstructed why you're doing that? Because he will look at, well, he, I mean, as we know, with Tesla, he was looking at electric cars and why are we doing cars that way? And with SpaceX, he was looking for, you know, the way we're uh, uh, getting involved in space flight. Because uh, he was saying there's better ways to do this. And he's turned out to be quite right on that. So I learned a lot uh, from him to question and look at uh, things that uh, were being done and were they being done the best way? Because when they uh, aren't being done in the best way, it creates a business opportunity. Again, he's yeah. been quite, quite, quite adept at... Uh, uh, exploiting those uh, uh, those shortcomings in the way we're doing things. And I think for myself, I mean, to say that he's learned anything from me, or, uh, I mean, I've been able to impart to him or any other entrepreneur, uh, what I'm able to do is bring a bit, a bit of structure to that thinking. Because uh, uh, brilliant minds like Elon, uh, they're oftentimes uh, thinking about things and not paying attention to some of the details. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that allows things to call, fall through the cracks. So it's important to have lawyers, accountants, other advisors, that are looking at some of the detail things. Uh, for myself, as a lawyer, I've helped a lot of entrepreneurs start and they've had a lot of great ideas. Uh, I've, I've made sure 
that they got to a spot where they had a company actually structured with that rule book we talked about earlier, like a, a good shareholders agreement in place to talk about how um, the rules of the game are to be established for companies in order to allow their creative ideas to, to, to come to fruition. Right. Because in that, they can just get going on things, but they end up creating things that are destroyed, the value of them is destroyed or never realized. And that's a shame when that happens. Right, right. And that leads to my next question. As you were talking, I just thought of this. So what happens if you sit down with somebody and they have this idea for a business and you realize that this is just not a good idea and they're kind of all gun ho and they've thought about it and and you know in your heart that and that's just not going to work. Do you? What do you say? Do you just tell them maybe we should try something different or... How can we spin uh, Julie, it? Such a, oh, that's a great question. I have to tell you, I learned a long time ago not to do what you just described. And I'll get into more detail on that. Uh, uh, because as a, as a lawyer, I've got a skill set. I bring a certain uh, vantage point to uh, a transaction or to a, to a, a business following, if you will. Uh, and I learned quite a while ago. And Elon would be, be one example. Uh, I'll tell a short story with Elon. I remember him walking into my office. We were working on the first company at the time. And he walked into my office and he said, what do you think of uh, a website called x.com? And I said to him, well, it sounds, it sounds like a porn site to me. Is what, you know, I said at the yeah. time, it sounds like a porn site. And he said it was going to be an online bank. And I remember as a lawyer thinking, well, an online bank, you can't do an online bank. There's too much regulatory. There's too much, you, know, you, can't, you can't do an online bank. And he said, yes, you can. And well, we now all know x.com is PayPal. Right. He's, he started PayPal. Right. right. And the lawyer in me at that time said, well, you can't do that. Or you can't, you know, and we got through all those issues, or I should say the company got through all those issues because among other things to get around the regulatory, it actually bought a bricks and mortar bank. Right. You know, there's, there's solutions to these problems. The entrepreneur, you have to, you have to allow the entrepreneur to thrive. And so for me, I learned a long time ago to say, they're not to say to a, uh, an entrepreneur, you can't, I have, certainly challenge them and I challenge them on a regular basis saying, is, is that the best way or is there another way or what are the risks to this? But I learned to not to say to them, you can't just to make sure I challenge the right points along the way and then assist. If the, if the decision was made to go ahead, then I assist as the entrepreneur takes the business ahead. That's a great point because we want somebody that we can trust to bounce ideas off of and somebody that's going to tell us the truth. I don't want a bunch of yes people around me. I need somebody that's going to say to me and be real honest with me and say, Maybe if you did this, it might be better. Did you think about that? Because, you know, we're all creative and we're all trying our best, but I really want people that are going to tell me the way it is because that's what I'm paying you for. I'm paying you to give me that expertise because of you've done this with other people for so long and you've been through this. And if I haven't been through it, then I do need your guidance as well. Yeah, Julie, you, that's a, you just hit a, you know, batted a thousand percent with that. The lawyer's got a very, and a good relationship with a good lawyer uh, has got a very um, objective vantage point because as a lawyer, I am being paid, and the way I get paid, I'm mo the majority of lawyers, by the hour. I could be 100% objective. I may be saying things you don't want to hear, but I have no other vested interest. A lot of other advisors, they maybe have a product to sell or they may have a continuing uh, reason to, for um, uh, or incentive in other ways, whereas a lawyer is literally by the hour. So I work with a lot of clients saying, listen, you're paying me for this, and if I'm Providing value, you'll continue to pay me. And if I'm not, I understand, you know, the, the relationship will come to an end. However, you are paying me. I've got no other vested interest other than my hourly rate. So here's what I think. And I would rather this business carry on. So I'm going to tell you things that allow the business to carry on. But it's completely objective advice at an hourly rate saying, this is what I've seen. This is what I think. Take my advice or leave it. You're ultimately going to make that decision. And from there, hopefully they're taking the best advice and building their company in the best way because that's where the ultimate success comes from. Right. Absolutely. Now I'm going to throw a curveball at you. <laughs> so let's just say for just hypothetically that 
I'll take myself as an example. I had someone come in, attorney, we set up an agreement, everything's working great. And all of a sudden we want to, you know, we've decided that we're going to go our own ways. This person that I want to co-create with. What happens if, and I'm sure you've seen this, the agreement is not done correctly. And there are a lot of loopholes that lead to a lot of confusion and leaks in terms of cash and uh, confusion. Um, and you go in and you say, oh my gosh, this was not set up correctly. What happens? What do we do? How do you fix that? Yeah, that's another great question. Uh, is was the agreement prepared by a lawyer? Like the the yes. agreement going in? Okay, so, so I did. Was, yeah, yeah. But, so but did, maybe it could have been old and out of date, or it didn't account for a lot of variables. Yeah, and that happens. I've looked at uh, some. It's it's interesting to see again how business evolves. I've looked at some agreements that are thirty years old. You know, with business owners that have been doing things with an older agreement, and things have evolved. Things do change. So the, the answer to your question is: well, look at where we're at. So from the agreement, is it workable or not? Is it something that is going to be enforceable or not? Uh, hopefully it is. So if there's been a lawyer that's been involved, it likely is enforceable uh, and uh, it will establish uh, the rules of the game to a certain extent. When you say there's loopholes or there's problems within it, then we'll talk about the extent that the, there may be some gray area and what the uh, the implications for that might mean. So if it was, for example, to be litigated, what uh, a court or a judge might say, or an arbitrator, I guess if you have an arbitration clause, might say about it. Uh, so as to give a sense of the type of exposure you might have, as a means of getting people to still be wise about how they resolve issues. I mean, the idea for an agreement, and as we talked about from the beginning, is to set the rules of the game. So if there is any lack of clarity from the agreement to say, okay, because there is this lack of clarity, there's this much gray area. This is what the, the range of the gray area might look like if you were to actually get this, if you were to litigate this. So let's get somewhere in between to make sure that we're still settling on something as opposed to, to spending all kinds of money, spinning your wheels and arguing about things. So still trying right. to get you in the right range. So the idea is to try to get people still to sell or be in the right range. And it's, it's just harder to do if the agreement is not as good as it could be. That's, that makes perfect sense to me. Perfect sense to me because things happen and nobody's perfect. Right. And, and you're looking at things that could be 30 years old, as you said, times have changed and the language changes. So, and the courts change. So it's always evolving, just like technology. People don't realize that if you're not in law, but we know that to be true. Um, what do you think about building brand loyalty? Let's talk about, um, I'm thinking like a Louis Vuitton or a Gucci versus, you know, just a brand that is, you know, I'm thinking about bags specifically, and I know you don't hear handbags, but um, a Louis Vuitton where they're going to pay for something that is very expensive because they're loyal to the brand. How does an entrepreneur build brand loyalty? Yeah, by spending money. So just as they did, or the, you know, the example you cited could apply to almost any industry. So uh, short answer, and again, it's for the lawyer. Uh, oftentimes you take, take a step, you take, take a step back because you'll say to them, is it really the best spot to invest? Um, some, some business owners say yes, and they'll invest on the, on the marketing side of things because they figure there'll be a return on that. Uh, and this is, as I say, as a lawyer, I take a step back because I would challenge and say, is that the best spot? Because you could spend it in other areas, building a better bag or something like that as an example, as you described there. And ultimately the entrepreneur will decide, does it make more sense? There are some industries where it does. There's some industries where it makes sense to spend that money, invest it on the marketing side to build that brand. And for the vast majority of others, it doesn't. Uh, and so as the lawyer, my job is to sit there and challenge. And then get out of the way if the entrepreneur decides that's where they're going to spend the money. Okay. Okay. What if you had, uh, you're an entrepreneur and then you had somebody come in and offer to back your business for, so that you can grow it. How, how would that work? If, if, if they're just investing the money, you must have some clear outline so that they are not in the day to day. 
because sometimes we just want the backers and then we still want to do our own thing, but we still have to account to them and give them updates. But sometimes it's not always like that. They want to invest and be in with you, be in it with you. And so a lot of times I think some confusion and clashing can <laughs> happen. So what are your thoughts if, uh, if I had somebody come to me and say, okay, I want to give you X so that you can grow the business. What would, how would you handle that? Julie, another great question. You've probably identified the biggest problem that growing companies experience uh, when they're approached by investors. Uh, yep. you know, and, and it's a necessary evil, right? The money is a necessary evil oftentimes to grow the company if it's not being done organically or a lot of times people want to get things to market quicker. So they, they want to accept the money, uh, but it is, one, it is the biggest uh, issue that uh, I deal with on a regular basis for a growing company. Uh, going back to what we said from the beginning, a good agreement is going to dictate what the price is you're paying for that money and literally the price. So if somebody wants to buy into a company. Uh, there, are, there are only two ways to do it. They're either lending to the company or they're buying equity. They're buying shares of the company. Okay. Either of those scenarios require paperwork to dictate the terms under which the money is being received. So a loan agreement can be fairly straightforward. You know, the money's being loaned. It's going to be paid at whatever amount at whatever time. It's the uh, second that's the bigger is the bigger issue. What, you know, what are we signing up for? What are we tying on to? Sometimes there'll be a silent investor where they're getting a class of shares that uh, it simply recognizes their, uh, um, their uh, investments. The more dangerous is when they're getting a class of shares that allows them votes and controls. And so yeah. a business owner has to be very, very careful in that. I've worked on both sides of the equation uh, for uh, somebody starting up a company and they've had it uh, taken away from them and uh, vice versa by an investor who's putting their money in and lost their money. So it's got to be done. Uh, and that's certainly a time when, uh, uh, without a doubt, it requires the assistance of a lawyer to make sure you get it right. Yeah, absolutely. Because now you're talking about combining two things and you've got some, some money on the back end to move to the front end, but you've also got control. And a lot of times as entrepreneurs, we are growing this, this is our baby and we don't want to give up control because this is why we created it to get away from control and not do the nine to five. So, but ultimately if you take the money and you might need it to grow, just you, like Shark Tank, I always think of Shark Tank, that they want some control. And so that's important. And that's then about how much control am I willing to give up? And, and are there other ways that I could maybe raise the money myself? Have you had any experience with helping folks raise money? Oh for- yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Now, to be clear, most of the people that are prepared to invest also come to me and say they want to invest in companies and they're usually more sophisticated. So they want things to protect themselves for the money they're investing, which will usually involve a form of class of shares that'll give them some, uh, give them some ability to control as well. So that certainly comes uh, in the, in the fundraising side of things. And again, it goes back to what I said is whatever the nature of the agreement uh, that you arrive at, make sure it's clearly defined uh, and have ensure that there's tie breaks and things that are in place to, to, to say what uh, is to happen with a company in the event that again, the investor and the founder, uh, don't agree. And I should say, actually, one thing that I, I do see clients uh, have issues with, and I uh, will challenge them as well, is, uh, is coming in terms of fact, as you said, it's their baby, right? And they, they don't uh, want to oftentimes give up the range or the, the controls to the company. And I'll oftentimes say to them, again, challenge them and say, okay, so how long do you intend to work? Like, how, what, is, what is your actual plan? Because uh, some people don't realize if, if they're prepared to give over the, give up the reins there might be somebody with a better skill set with them to take a company to the next level and so i will challenge them to say does it about make perhaps more sense to have a professional manager in here that's going to grow this company maybe you retain a class of shares or something like that but you don't even have to work and they'll, they'll grow the company for you so yeah. it's like that other vantage point that objective vantage point i was talking about before where i'll challenge a business owner to say 
have you thought about all angles? Because this might actually be something that's really very much in your interest. And it, maybe it is time to have a professional manager come in. And then other times, maybe it's not the right time to have a professional manager come in and they're saying, no, no, I want to retain control, but at least to make sure I've asked the questions and yep. shown them so they thought about all things. Yeah, that's a good one, JP, because I totally agree with you because um, there, we don't all do everything great, right? We all, we all have our niche of things that we love to do. You can outsource certain, like I have somebody that does my um, social media. It's not that I can't do it. It's that I want to free myself up to do the things that I really love to do, like podcasts and writing. And I'm sure you run into this yourself personally. Um, talk a little bit about outsourcing. And my thought is that outsource as fast as you can. And I, I know I was of the old mindset of, well, I'm just starting and I don't have the money. But if you really think about it, and as you were saying, how you focus your day um, and what your experience has been talking with and, and dealing with people in the trenches on this, what's the best time to outsource and, and how does that help them and free up their time? Yeah, you're hitting it on the head again because outsourcing uh, is just just being strategic about where you're spending your time. Um, certainly, anything uh, any type of virtual assistant is, I think, money very well spent. Uh, social media and some of the day-to-day -day things uh, can be taken care of very easily by a virtual assistant to free you up doing the creative things, which frankly are the higher, the higher leverage and the higher value things that you're able. Anybody that's writing, anybody that's producing creative content um, should be focused on that to the extent that they're able to and allow the, uh, the, the regular scheduling tasks and the administrative roles to be taken by others who can allow you to focus on the creative time, which is of, it was where you're creating the value. There's a lot of right. people, their skill set is to assist and bring uh, the creative minds uh, work product to the marketplace. And so to the extent, if, if you are a creative person, if you're listening to this and you're a creative person, make sure you're taking Julie's advice and actually leveraging your time properly by having others help you bring your creative content because that's where you're creating value. Right. And you're so right because that's, and you want to create great content. It's not all about pushing things out. As you know, we're, we all know about that now that, you know, you want to push things out that are going to resonate with others. And that takes time, just like you're writing your book. It takes time and it takes thought. So you want to, I say, do it as fast as you can. I've done it from the very beginning with this, the, this company. I didn't do it with my other companies and it cost me more in the long run because you are, you've got so many hats and you're wearing, you know, you're doing so much and you know, you end up working until 1230 at night. And by then your eyes are rolling in your head and you're not producing your best content. So outsource as fast as you can. Um, and I do think virtual assistants and are great. And having attorneys like yourself to help you and give you another set of eyes on your business is also great because sometimes you're just so in the weeds, then you need somebody that's up here that can see, you know what, maybe you should try this. Maybe you should do that. You know, bringing in experts is never a bad thing. Yeah. And, and I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more experts in all different areas as well. Assembling them from time to time. This is one thing that a lot of people don't do. And I'll do this with some of the teams that I work with by teams. I mean, specifically a planner, uh, uh, an accountant uh, and a business owner to sit in the same room. Uh, sometimes clients will look at that and they will look, look around a table and thinking, I'm, you know, I've got a number of different people at an hourly rate here, very expensive. Uh, the thing that is created by putting people together, either in a room or on a call, uh, is the synergies that exist. Everybody brings their own skill set into it and together very efficiently, I find, uh, as opposed to 50 emails going back and forth to help a business owner make a decision, they can get all the vantage points and make a decision right there to take their business to the next step. So not only to outsource, but also to connect all the people you're outsourcing from time to time. That's a great idea. And then you can, I mean, you just do it, you know, once or quarterly or, but that's a great idea. And then you've got everybody talking together. You can accomplish so much more in one meeting like that, even if it's virtual then all these emails back and forth. So yeah, I totally agree with that. I, how often would you suggest somebody does that? 
so suggestion for me is once a year. So it's interesting okay. you say quarterly because yes, it can be an expensive proposition. Um, but certainly once a year, uh, a touch with your lawyer uh, and a touch with your accountant once a year. It's the nice, it's convenient that things are driven somewhat by tax uh, because you're going to be working with your accountant on a yearly basis. So around the time when you're uh, finishing up your taxes with your accountant, uh, ideally, or for a corporation, it's, it's supposed to re- approve the financial statements that the, the corporation is passing for its taxes in any event. So with those that uh, are proactive and interested in conducting those meetings, we always do it just after tax time. So we'll meet with the accountant and the planner usually around that time. And what that has the effect of doing, and it's also, I should say, a legal requirement to have a board meeting. So uh, a lot of times the board meetings are simply done by way of resolution. So resolution okay. sign. And again, as I said before, is a lot of things can be done by email. So things can be prepared and sent by email. But I say to people, and I always offer as, uh, uh, as an opportunity, uh, we can do this by email if you wish. However, if you want to block an hour of time, we'll set the time up here now and we can have anybody else dial into this conversation we want. So the other advisors can hear what I'm talking about. And uh, for the people that do that, um, they walk away from those meetings, a board of directors meeting where they're supposed to be charting the direction for the corporation for the next year. They're actually walking it away, walking away from those meetings uh, with the benefit of several advisors. And actually, they actually are planning the next year. And it's nice because when they've done that on a couple of years, successive years, you're able to go back and look at, as to whether or not they've executed on what's been uh, discussed at those meetings. And those are, the, those are the companies that I see really growing and creating the most value. So it's, you know, going back to my book, that's one of the things I talk about in the book itself to make sure that uh, you're strategically growing the business with your trusted advisors. And it creates accountability. Absolutely. For everybody in the room, not just the business owner, because then we can all talk about, well, this is what we talked about last year and let's find out where we fell short or where we excelled. So accountability is huge, especially if you're by yourself. I would love to know your thoughts on surrounding yourself with the best people, because we both know that this is super, super important. This will get you to your next level. I read a quote today recently before we got on that said, if you don't have the right people on your team, you can think of it as a cage versus exponentially growing your business. How, how do you think, what, what's the best way to surround yourself with the best people? Uh, be the best person yourself. Uh, so uh, I, do that, I do that consistently as I think, okay, so uh, you know, continue to um, provide services that are above and beyond. You can hear the way that I work with clients, right? I, I don't talk like a, a typical lawyer or a typical lawyer at an hourly rate. So I, I'm the best that I can. And so when I'm in the type of meeting I just described, I'll oftentimes say, so who is the right person to connect for this or for, uh, you know, whatever, whatever need is being identified here. And as a lawyer and as a writer and a speaker, and now as a podcast host, it's convenient because you can reach out to the right person as well, I find. Uh, and so I'm, I think, fairly adept at connecting people uh, to ensure they are surrounding themselves with the best, uh, the best team possible. And in so doing, you're then, uh, you know, everyone's one degree of separation. So when that group grows with the, the, new, the new person that's been added on to the team, if another needs identified, you're able to uh, move very quickly to the next person as well. And that's how, that's how businesses grow and, and add great value. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about your podcast a little bit because I know that, that has, is that, that's not out yet, is it? Is that still in the works? We're launching it in two weeks, two weeks Friday. Awesome. So where are people going to be able to see it? So it's businessbreakout.com uh, as we're through the URL for the uh, uh, podcast separately. And of course, you can reach out to the podcast as well through conductlaw.com. So the law firm conductlaw.com uh, for the podcast. And in addition to any, any other services I described here that we uh, that we're able to provide. And in it, uh, we hope to do uh, a series of podcasts with business owners and uh, experts in their own fields and talk to them about some of the things that we just discussed here, which is how to, especially for an established business, 
how to grow it and take it to the next level, all with a view to eventually selling it. I guess that's a lot of the work that I do. A lot of the work I do comes from actually accountants. So you just you hear some of my thinking on things. An accountant will look where a company is at and realize that uh, the company requires someone with my skill set, an, uh, an attorney that can take things to the next level, uh, hopefully before the, the increase in value is realized, structure it to uh, minimize taxes on an exit. So I, I like to look at examples of ways that people are growing their companies, talk about the ways that we've got it structured for the increase in growth, and then hopefully you know, the success stories we're talking about when we actually sell them. So that's what the, the focus of the podcast is and what we'd like to, uh, like to share once we've successfully, uh, successfully exited a business owner from their business. Wonderful, wonderful. So I'm going to put up all the links so that people can reach you, reach out to you, reach out to the law firm, uh, get your podcast. And then also, if you have any speaking engagements and the book too, we can put all the links in there for you as well. That, that's so, most welcome. Thanks so much. Yeah. Uh, so the book is called, uh, uh, as I say, Disrupt and, Pro- uh, Disrupt and Grow Rich. Uh, and it's about uh, disrupting uh, your business in, uh, uh, in the most effective way possible. So as I've got that completed, I'll send through the, uh, the uh, material so that uh, you can share that with the audience. I really appreciate absolutely. the opportunity. Absolutely. I will. I'd love to look at that. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of goodies in there that we can all benefit from because this is where even no matter where you are in your business, whether you're just starting out or whether you're a seasoned vet, we all need protection. We all need guidance. We need counsel. Uh, and that's what we're, that's what we need. We need somebody that can really talk to us. That's been there and has seen things fall apart, but also things flourish. So having that soundboard is really important. And I just want everybody to know that JP doesn't talk like a regular lawyer. I was in law and a lot of times they're, um, I'm not going to bash them, but they're focused on the task at hand, right? They're, they're only thinking about now. Whereas I think that your skill set is really the future about growing a business, surrounding with the right people. And then also, as you said, an exit strategy as well. So, and that's what we want for our life. We want to flourish and grow and, and change it up. So I think that that's what makes you different. And, and I think that you're, I think you're awesome. I can't thank you enough for being here today. Honestly, you've helped me a lot personally, and I know that the listeners are going to love a lot of the gems that you've given them. So thank you so much for being here. Thank oh, you. thank you, Julie. That's very kind. Thanks very much. A pleasure. And if there's anything else, feel free to reach out at any time. Awesome. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye now.